uh, some friends of ours, Aubrey, um, somebody in our fellowship is down around their way home probably from ministering to them. And Kathy Odell is in the hospital, not doing well. And we have some people with some surgeries coming up. So we'll just uh, lift up those people. So Father, we just thank you that you are an awesome God and you reign from heaven above. And we know that you are all powerful and you created life. You are the sustainer of life. And uh, we know that you're a good God, Lord, so uh, we don't ask you to be good. We know that you are good. So we just pray that people that are having difficulty right now, Lord, as we just mentioned specifically, uh, Aubrey and Kathy and anyone not uh, feeling well or waiting for news or considering health issues, Lord, that um, inside, Lord, that you would listen to their hearts, that you would allow them to have a heart that can praise you and worship you right now, that they would know that you care, that your presence would be real, that you would just touch them. Lord, we know that uh, physical things don't have to uh, take away from spiritual things. In fact, they can add to it, Lord. So we just pray for, for health. We pray for life. We pray for your presence. And uh, we just pray that they'd have the ability to hear you speak to them, that they would know that you care and that you are able, Lord, and we ask that you would reach down and touch them right now, that physically they would be healed, physically um, they would know you're the one that made them. Lord, you're very intimate with us. Lord, you don't just know about us, you know us. And thank you for being a good God. We pray your word would have that impact on us today too, right now, Lord, as we open up your word, that it would do those things that you send it forth to do, despite us, Lord, despite our hearing. Lord, you said, whoever has ears to hear, I'll let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, Lord. And here we are, we're your called out ones. So we just want to hear your voice. So allow us to hear you and to react properly from what you say. We just, which we know that you want us to know you better and to know how much you love us, that we might love you more. Um, more perfectly, so to speak, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm starting a new book, and 1 Corinthians, not that anything is better than any other thing else, but I've been very excited about this for a long time, I don't know why, but 1 <laughs> Corinthians, I don't know what you think of when you think of the book of 1 Corinthians, um, but normally, I, because of who I am or because of what we know, I usually think of correction. I usually think of a messed up church. I usually think of problems. I usually think of a specific group of the church that they should be reading this because it applies to them more than everyone else, but um, obviously it applies to everyone. And the very first part of it applies to my heart in that thought process. So <laughs> he talks a lot about, um, well, we'll get into it. So just a, a little history background. I mean, I, I was thinking of getting faster. I actually have a lot of chapters to go through So in, in another book besides. So this could take, I don't have to go as slow as I normally do, but an introduction could take the whole service. So I'm, I'm, I thought I'd go through chapter one, but... My notes go up to like chapter two, so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, 
but Easton's Bible Dictionary. So here's just a, what they have about Corinth. Um, I could, like, right off the bat, have my Sunday school mode on and say, you know why this is called First Corinthians? You know why it's called First Corinthians? And, uh, that's always a catch. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So Corinth is the city, Easton's Bible Dictionary, a Grecian city on the Isthmus, which joins the Peloponnesus. I listened to the dictionary and hit the little music note to say that properly, and I'm not doing it already. I forgot. <laughs> uh, to the mainland of Greece, it is about 48 miles west of Athens. The ancient city was destroyed by the Romans, about 146 B.C., and that mentioned in the New Testament was quite a new city, having been rebuilt about a century afterwards and peopled by a colony of freedmen from Rome. It became under the Romans the seat of government for the southern Greece or Achaia. It was noted for its wealth and for the luxurious and immoral and vicious habits of the people. It had a large mixed population of Romans, Greeks, and Jews, when Paul first visited the city in around 51 AD, Gallio, the brother of Seneca, was proconsul. Here Paul resided for 18 months, but said a year and a half and then some, so about a year and a half. Here he first became acquainted with Aquila and Priscilla, and soon after his departure, Apollos came to it from Ephesus. After an interval, he visited a second time and remained for three months. During the second visit with his epistle to the Romans, was written probably around 55 AD. Although there were many Jewish converts at Corinth, yet the Gentile element prevailed in the church there. Another commentator wrote, the Corinthian people were also known for partying, drunkenness, and loose sexual morals. The term Corinth, the, the Zyama, was well known in the Roman Empire, and it meant literally to live like a Corinthian, but everyone knew it really meant to be sexually out of control. Alien, the late Greek writer, tells us that if ever a Corinthian was shown up upon the stage in a Greek play, he was shown drunk. So they were very carnal. The people there had multiple temples of different gods, and one of them was the god of sex, and there was over a thousand prostitutes that roamed the city uh, for that worship. So this was something that was very flagrant, very in-your-face, and... Uh, it's kind of helps understand that sometimes we know that we are to infect the world, but sometimes the world infects us. And what we think of as normal, or if we think that we're doing better than the society that we live in, it doesn't mean that we're anywhere close to the, 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 the standard that God put forth. Um, so it's something for us to take in and look at it, especially as our nation and our country and the morals are dropping faster than probably any of us could have thought of. And uh, I remember just reading Habakkuk during the time of COVID and thinking, you know, if God's saying, if I would have told you beforehand, you never would have believed me. And even since then, how much that's still true is the rapid fall. Oh, oh how far they have fallen, just as we read of Satan. Um, so Corinthians, um, we're going to read a bunch of stuff. The, I've changed my opinion on a few things, studying and getting into it. Um, one of them, I've been talking with somebody here about it for a bit, uh, seeing it in a new light, um, chapter 3. But the first four verses, we'll, we'll get into that in a second, 
are mainly uh, on divisions and what separates people and what separates the body. And Paul uses that as an example often, the body, and he does it of, of a, a person, um, of, a, of a body of believers also uh, about this temple and the building and how things are supposed to be fit together. And it's, and it's true in this body, so we have all the parts need to be assembled here for us to be healthy, but it's true of the body in general also, of, of the whole church of God. Um, so if you've not turned to 1 Corinthians, if you could, in chapter 1, verse 11, says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So one of the reasons for this book is people from the household of Chloe has declared to Paul issues. He's going to address those in this letter. Chapter 5, verse 9, says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Hence the question I asked, why did they call this 1 Corinthians? Evidently, Paul had written to them before this letter. So this technically is not the first letter that he wrote to them. So he had written prior to this book. So 1 Corinthians, it's just the first one recorded for us in the scriptures. God, he, Paul wrote many letters. Not all of them are considered doctrine or considered inspired by the Holy Spirit and are not in our canon where this is. There was a prior letter that's either lost or God just didn't seem fit to put it in. Um, but these people had heard from Paul prior and it tells us in chapter 7, verse 1, now, the, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So evidently they also had had questions and they wrote to Paul and asked him. So if this book didn't have those three verses in it, and this is just Paul's heart to write to them, you'd think, man, these guys aren't even close. <laughs> but... Chapters 1 to 4 are in response to a report that he had had from Chloe's household how there were divisions there. And I used to think that was basically chapters 1 or 1 and 2, but now I'm convinced it's also chapters 3 and chapters 4 also are concerning that. So he spends four chapters just talking about a divided church, and I think that's important for us, for me, to get a, a handle on. Um, we'll be spending some time on that since even if I can get all the way through chapter one, we still have three more chapters on division. <laughs> and uh, it's okay to repeat yourself if God does. <laughs> There's things that we need. And to me, that's when you first get saved, you can't, you're, you're blown away. And God's grace is there and he answers everything and you're just happy to be in a family. And it didn't take long, maybe not everyone's struggles, as pridefully as I do, but it doesn't take long, especially if you go to a Bible teaching church where you are getting the word of God three times a week, you're listening to the radio station, you're getting up, you're getting fed, and it, you, pretty quickly you can, I remember Pastor Jeff saying that years ago, if, you, if you're here six months and you're involved and you're getting fed all the time, unfortunately you probably know more than a lot of the pastors in pulpits. Six months, it's all it takes. Getting fed, getting fed, getting fed. And, and that's good, but the downside of it, the knowledge puffs up. And it's easy to all of a sudden then walk around wondering, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And then all of a sudden there's all these things that are divided. I can remember many times, I mentioned this here before, I went to a, our next door neighbor at the time, had her 
kitchen being redone by her dad, who was a believer in Syracuse. And uh, we just started talking. I'm trying to, I got to get Jesus into this because I'm supposed to, I'm a Christian. So I, and uh, yeah, I think he might even brought it up. So I'm like, oh, you're a believer. And he's like, yeah. So what church do you go to? He goes, oh, I go to a Catholic church in Syracuse. So immediately I have to find out what's wrong with him. Why? I don't know. And he's telling me that he was waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm like, oh, I didn't think he would have said that. Uh, his wife had passed away. He was dating somebody once, realized that wasn't it, went on another date with somebody else, and within a, a month knew that was her, and they decided, oh, if we're supposed to get married, let's just get married. And he was married within six months. So he's hearing the Lord speak to him. He believed Jesus, the rapture was before the tribulation. I kept on like trying to test him, and God's finally like, just fellowship with him, be quiet. And I'm like, why do, why do I have to find, it's just, I don't know, I got issues. Like you didn't know that. But divisions, I mean, and, you know, I'm Baptist. I'm, oh, well, you know, all of a sudden we lump people into this group, or I do. And uh, he spends a lot of time talking about that. So chapters one to four are in response to this report from Chloe's household that there's divisions. So Paul isn't just randomly picking this. This is something that came to him. They wanted to know he's addressing it. Chapters five and six are in response to a report that they heard that there's fornication. So there's issues there, and it's not unlike the society in which they live, and he deals with it. And chapters 7 to 16 are all about the questions that they had asked him. So now he's just answering it. And I remember just going into jail. Sometimes you would have with Brian um, to teach. Not that I didn't get caught, so I wasn't arrested because <laughs> I was better at it. Anyways, um, and sometimes you go in with this plan, and if you didn't, if you just waited, you're waiting for somebody, you know, not everyone was in there yet, and next thing you know, they were just hungry, and they just had question after question after question. And you could sit there all night, because these people actually wanted to know. And it was, that was a blessing. It's hard to prepare for it, because you don't know what questions are coming ahead of time. It was really healthy for me, um, and it's really encouraging, because God always answers it. And it's, it's one thing to sit there and see people with problems and thinking that you have to fix everything. It's another thing when people just want to know about the Lord and they come asking you questions. Well, these people we're going to read in chapter 1, you wouldn't think that these are the same people he talks about in the whole rest of the book. It's, it's not a bad church. It's a good church. They, they come behind no other church in spiritual things. They, he talks about it, of course, if you're saved, God sees you differently than you're not saved. So that's how God sees them. Um, but they actually wanted to know things and wrote them questions, and it's good to be hungry and want to know. And I'm sure you found that also, depending upon your heart or the person that you're talking to, because sometimes other people are just like me, and if you bring up a question to talk about, some people just want to argue or prove that they're right, kind of like I can get there, which I try not to get there. Other people just want to come to a common answer. What does God have to say about it? And then you can have fellowship over just discussing something, and unfortunately not Maybe it's just specific people because they can't deal with that with me or they just can't deal with it with anybody. But you'll find quickly, it's not healthy for me to talk to them about certain things, but certain people, I just want to, we just want to know. And these people had questions. And in chapter 7, he talks about marriage. Chapters 8 to 10, he talks about liberty versus love. Chapters 11 to 14, they talk about public worship. Um, chapter 15, he answers a question they had on the resurrection and then the last chapter is the collection of the saints and giving. So he, they had these questions, and he answers them. So Acts chapter 18 is when the church, we believe, was formed there. 
I'm just going to read the first four verses. It says, after these things, so after uh, Paul at Athens and the Argopaeus, and he ends up having this debate, and he goes, um, those are these things. Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Paul ended up in Corinth talking, and it tells us in verse 17, it says, Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, who after he ended up getting into an issue, and they brought him to court, and God had told them that we have many, don't be afraid, we have many people in the city, and he got taken to court, and he might be a little gun-shy because he's had bad experience with people that didn't like him, <laughs> stoned to death. Um, it says in verse 17, Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And we read Sothenes probably was the one that penned Corinth. So we're going to get back there in 1 Corinthians 1. It says Paul and Sosthenes, and usually they name the person that penned the letter. So here's a guy Paul can relate to, or at least maybe this is one of the few people that can relate a little bit to Paul. Yeah, I've been beaten also physically. Um, then in verse 24, so he, he, he goes back and he returns. Now a certain Jew... Acts 18.24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So this is Luke writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, Apollos was fervent in spirit. He taught accurately. He did well. He gave out what he had. And that's basically all that we can do. If you have the gift of teaching, it's because God told you something and he tells you to tell somebody else. If you have the gift of giving, it's because God gives you something and then you give it away. Nobody wants to give away their stuff. If, you, if you're begrudgingly giving away your stuff, then you might not have the gift of giving. If you realize that God just gave it to you and it's not yours, it's not a burden to give it away. It, it, freely you receive, freely give. The gifts of God come from him for others. It's an act of love. It's an act of love from God to you to be used, to be a conduit, to partake of it, but it's what God says that we need. So this guy gave out what he had, and he was spoken highly of, even though it was not complete, and he could have done better, and he received correction. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and explained something to him, verse 27. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, 
that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So Apollos, these are disciples probably that Apollos had been ministering to, and Paul shows up, and he's like, you guys are lacking something. And it was something that Apollos hadn't given them. And we're going to find that Apollos is one of the people, the groups that people in Corinth cling to. He was one of the reasons that people used him. I like the way he teaches, and there was a separation drawn. Paul doesn't have a problem with him. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a problem with him. <laughs> it's not about the people that they're the ones causing a division. It's just about the people, so we'll get to that too. But back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I say back. I don't know if we've gone there yet, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brothers, again, probably the one that penned it. And oftentimes when Paul has to declare um, his, apostles, his apostleship is usually trying to make a statement or a stand. He's saying, this is from God. I'm, a lot of times when he just comes along, he'll, sometimes he'll just tell people he's encouraging, you know, I'm a bondservant or I'm your brother in Christ. Usually if he's declaring it, it's usually some form of authoritative letter. So Paul here is stating that he is called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. There evidently might have been some other people that were there teaching, that were making stands of doctrine, that were contradicting him. So Paul is making a claim that the things that I'm saying, it's because God told me. The, the Bible is true, and we can take that to heart. If people are telling you something other than, most of the time we know that, and so do other people that are claiming to be Christians. So now it's usually out of context. So now we just have to pray and take it to the Lord. The only things that should be things that divide are things that are contradicting the, the staples of the faith, about like how you get saved. Um, it's okay to have a, view of, a different view of opinion as long as it's not an essential doctrine. Um, verse 2, to the church or to the called out ones of God, which is at Corinth, and uh, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And uh, um, who call upon the name of Jesus. It actually means to put a name upon or to surname. It's like a lot of times in the Old Testament, I did a lot of reading on this today even, it's not, it's, greater than just having a last name or changing your last name, like getting married and having something. Um, it's, it's, it's definitive. It's almost like it, some cultures actually say from the city you're from um, to define who they are, but it's basically getting stamped or stating that uh, the term surname refers to a person, to the name of a person shares with other members of his or her family, tribe, or community. And we have Jesus' name upon us. We're stamped. We're his. And that's just the name Christian. If you're a Christian, you have his name on you. 
And uh, greater than that, right, we have the Holy Spirit in us. So we not only have his name on us, we actually have him in us. We have something written on our foreheads that he sees. Um, we're stamped, set apart. And it says in verse 2, to those who are sanctified, and that Greek word is hagiezo, and then it says later on, um, called to be saints or called to be is and italicized it's not in the original language they did it for clarity but sometimes it's not right you can just say called saints right and we've all heard this before there's saint richard there's saint dave there's saint al you can call you that's true because you're called out right you doesn't mean perfect it doesn't mean separated but that does make us perfect in god's eyes when he sees you he sees his son and again the lord showed me that it's very vivid, right? If, if Jesus died, God killed his son, so now Jesus is dead, so that he can come inside of you and live. We know that he, 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 he separated from his father for eternity, and death biblically means separation. When we think of death, we think of the body separated from the soul. But, he, but, but the second death is when you're separated from God. It tells us in Revelation. So being separated from God is death. But Jesus somehow took that punishment on the cross and he allowed that to happen because his son can live in you. So when, Je when if God looks at you and he sees his son, it's because his son is living in you. He loves his, how much does God accept his son? And if he doesn't see his son, then he sees somebody that his son died that he can live in. So now you're actually guilty of killing his son. So it's not only like, well, there's different... It's, it's night and day. It's, you're either his son or you killed his son. And if you have a child, then I don't know what depths I might be drawn to in this world, but that would be way up there. Somebody did something to my family. God gets mad. We, right, we just read Nahum. God gets mad. And, and it's not just because he's indifferent or because he's really sensitive, but he either loves you as much as he loves his son or he's mad at you because of what you did to his son. There's really only two camps. You fall in one or the other. And called saints, you've been separated and called apart. And that word saints is similar to the word sanctified. They both mean holy. Um, hagios is an adjective, so we're called saints. Um, but to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, it's even better than just being called holy. It's just better than having it saint in front of my name, St. Mark. Um, if you look it up in your concordance, it's actually a perfect passive participle. Isn't that great news? So <laughs> a perfect passive participle. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, seeing as I'm a English, I speak them good. No, I can read a dictionary though. Um, in Greek, it corresponds to the to a perfect tense in English, and it describes an action which is viewed as having been completed in the, pan, in the past once and for all, not needing to be repeated. It's the same um, verb tense when Jesus said to telestai, it is finished. It's done once and it never has to go again. When you are being sanctified, it's something that, that is done once in the past and it doesn't have to be repeated. I don't have to keep getting saved. <laughs> Once you're saved, you're saved. 
And it's also um, passive, which means you didn't do anything, you had no part in it. You didn't put your hand to it. It's something he did. So if you are sanctified, it's something that happened once and it never has to be repeated, and he did it, which is why we just praise him. We don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. It's all grace. So if you, by definition, it's impossible to earn grace because as soon as you could do it, then it's not grace anymore. God saves us by grace through faith. So, hallelujah. Then it says in verse 4, which, all three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we know those are the Greek and Hebrew greetings. Grace always comes before peace. You don't have peace without grace, and then you first have peace with God, and then you can get the peace of God. And that's why you can go through trials. That's why you can go through difficulties. It's one thing to sit there and wonder, is he upset with me? But when you have the peace of God, you realize where you are, and nothing can separate you from that. Verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, Five, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That does not sound like what I think Paul would be saying to the church of Corinth, knowing what I know about the book of Corinth. He's setting it up. This is where they are. This is who they are. But now the question comes is sanctification is a process. So he's, he has work to do in them. In God's eyes, it's done. It's completed. He's, he's, he's finished the work. When God sees them, he sees his son. But while we're here, for other people to watch, people are going to realize how good God is because God can use even me. God can use even you. And it goes on, which we'll find that out, that he's chosen the foolish things. It's not because, even Israel, right? He didn't say, I didn't choose you because you were better or bigger or stronger. I did it just because I want people to know my goodness and what I'm capable of. It's all about him. So they were saved. They're going to be confirmed blameless in the day of Jesus Christ, even though they get punished later. He says, God's, you're not unsaved and you're not going to be there guilty, but I have work to do. And if you're not corrected, then you should, if you're not being corrected, then you should even wonder if you are saved, right? If you are his child, it tells us in Hebrews. So just sometimes it's how quick we are to have a pity party. God's correcting me. I don't like being told I'm wrong. And as soon as I'm being corrected, I think, okay, well, I'm horrible. I can't get saved. God's mad at me. I must, I must be wicked. God's like, just get over yourself. <laughs> get into my son. And that's going to be the message we were talking about. I mentioned that earlier. The, the Lord's really been speaking to me that, you know, how oftentimes I go, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then I just sit there and dwell on this whole, oh, my flesh is so weak. And it's just because I can't get over myself. Why are you focusing on you? The spirit is willing. Let God do it through you. He wants to, and he can. He's able. 
and, and in my insanity, the whole thing, just, just believe God what he says about you to be true. Verse 9, God is faithful. How can all of that be true? God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're called to fellowship with Jesus. There, if you don't know if you have a ministry or not, now you have one. (laughs) I don't know what God's called me to. God's called you to fellowship with his son, Jesus. Spend time with him. Hang out with him. Get to know him. Let him work through you. And then we're going to find that, at, what does that look like? Well, that's different for every person. God's got a unique calling. So we've talked about this before, that each gathering of believers is likened unto a body. So all of the body parts need to be present in order for it to be healthy. If something is out of line, something's lacking. You know, I don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I can stay home. Right, but you're only one part. So if you're only a finger... Can a finger? A finger's not bad. A finger's not good. A finger helps me eat, but it can't eat without a mouth. It can't eat without eyes to see what it's eating. It doesn't have a digestive system. All of the body is necessary. The question isn't, I don't need to go to church. If I'm a Christian, the question should be is, you're lacking a lot, and when you go there, why don't you want to go there? You should want to go there. You're missing a lot. You have something everybody else needs, and you're missing most of it. And we're supposed to encourage one another as we come together. And I just, Gail Irwin, I remember at a, the first pastor's conference I went to with uh, Pastor Jeff and Billy, roomed together, and we went to the Cove, and I uh, actually had a surgery, so I was off, and Pastor Jeff at the last minute decided he wasn't supposed to go. So I was the only one they knew that wasn't, I wasn't in leadership or anything. But they were like, hey, you want to go? I'm like, oh with the pastors, you know, because I didn't know any better yet. I thought they were, like, really holy or something. But, <laughs> and uh, so I ended up rooming with Billy, because that's where Jeff was going to room. So now the two of us are sitting in there, and I, Gail Irwin was teaching, and he's kind of funny. So I go, oh, he's going to be good. And, man, before lunch, he ripped my heart out. And he just, he, he makes you laugh and cry at the same time. It's weird. But he talks about often Gail Irwin does people showing up and saying, okay, I'm at church. God, I'll give you 10 minutes. Bless me or I'm leaving. And he's like, you should be, the proper thing is, within 10 minutes, Lord, show me who to bless. I want to give. It is better to give than receive. Jesus said that, and it's true. And if all you want is to take in, it's unhealthy, first of all. And two, it causes misery. You'll be, just stop thinking about yourself. If you're ever going through a difficult time, and, and we can go through a lot of hard things, and sometimes we wonder why, or if you can focus on your problems, he goes, just pray for other people. It's healthy. It's good. Just start praying for other people. Get your eyes and your mind off of yourself. And then it got worse, by the way, at the conference. So <laughs> Gail Irwin was bad, and I still remember lunchtime, Billy asking me, how you doing? I said, not good. He's like, it's going to get worse. I'm like, it can't get worse. And then KP hand destroyed me after <laughs> We, I think you were there. I don't know. I was. Afterwards, we prayed. I think I prayed twice. I think it was three words. I, I couldn't. I was. I had the snot coming. I was 
sobbing so much, and that's not me. I think the first time I said I'm sorry, and the second time all I could get out was help. <laughs> like, nobody left the room. It was, anyways, I don't want to go back there. I'm trying to teach here. Um, unity or division. And uh, so as we see different people exercising gifts, sometimes you can sit there and have a mindset and a heart to do something, and other people might have gifts differently, and you might be wondering, well, how come they're doing that? That's not what I would do. It doesn't make it right or wrong. Um, they might be wrong, they might be right, but sometimes they see it from a different angle. And you might see somebody in leadership, and you see a sheep there, and to you, they did something, and you see pain, and you want to help them, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and kind of is harsh with them um, because you haven't been given that. The, the person might be causing problems, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and, you, and you, know, you haven't been given to see that. That doesn't make it wrong. It just means, we, and it doesn't mean you have to be like them. Now you shouldn't, it's not, oh, if that's what I was supposed to do, now I need to do that. No, you need to operate within the gift that God gave you. And that shouldn't be something that divides us. That should be something that brings us together. The, all the body parts are different, but they all need one another. And I, the hard part for me also then is to see that God brings different people, and not every church has the same vision. So we're here doing something that we're doing. Other churches might be more geared towards helping people on the streets financially or something else. And it's like, well, they need the word of God. What are they doing? But if that's what God has them doing, again, there's a large Pentecostal portion in, of, in my own family. And sometimes I see them and I see things I think are wrong. But it doesn't mean God's not using them. You know, I, sometimes I wish I could pray for healing like they do. And they, they have a heart and it doesn't mean God's not using them. It's just different. And I need to not necessarily be of the same mindset that I have, because I can have a lot of issues with that kind of stuff. Verse 10, now I plead with you, and this is where Paul's at. He sees things, people acting like I can and did, and he says, I'm pleading with you. Brethren, I'm not pleading with you heathen, I'm pleading with you brethren. By the name and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So there were people there speaking different things, and it says uh, that there be no divisions And the word in the King James is schism. And sometimes you think of that, but what it actually means is a bone broken or out of joint. It's not something that's not supposed to be there. It's actually something not aligned properly. So there's, it's not, so if you have two different body parts, what are they joined with? Right? And as we're here, what joins us? Love. So there's different parts, but they're all joined by love. We're being united by something. And when there's something not out, out of line, it, it doesn't mean that the finger and the hand aren't different, but they're connected by, they're each bones, but they have tissues, they have tendons, they have ligaments, they have things connecting them. And the, the bond of unity for us is supposed to be love. And he's saying, I want you to all speak the same thing. He's not saying, I wish you were all the same because the finger is not there. He goes on to explain that pretty thoroughly. He goes on in the, in, when they gather together, um, correcting their 
worship when they, when they unite to say um, that there are different gifts and you are supposed to operate within them and they're all supposed to come together. They're not supposed to be divided and ultimately it's the same spirit that does it, right? So if you are having a problem with somebody, if they're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what, what can I know apart from him? What, what is God like? I don't know. You can't figure it out. We're not meant to think about it. And sometimes we can be struggling on what we're supposed to do. So you, don't, you can't get saved without him telling you. You can't know that there even is a God other than you can see what he did, and it's rational, but you can't know anything about him other than what you see. So God needs to tell you that he's there. Then he needs to tell you that you can get saved. Then he needs to tell you what he wants to do with you once you're saved. Then he has to tell you how to do that. Then he has to give you the gifts in order to do that. And then he has to go before you to make it effective. You can't do anything without him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So we need him. So when he comes and he's working, there shouldn't be this division or problem. We need help. And he is the help. It's supposed to be all fit together. And he, he mentions their mind and how they judge things. So without him explaining things to us, we can't know it properly or well. So it says in verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren. Again, he's not coming at them saying he doesn't understand them or that he's above them, even though he is called an apostle. Um, he's calling them brothers, believers in Christ, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And because I am who I am, I can't not think about that. Obviously they had issues, but you live in a society un not unlike ours. What people would stick out or who would people be drawn to and why these people you can venture there in your own mind <laughs> not to tell you how to venture but it's okay to question things it's in here so people of note Paul Apollos Cephas and then those that are just going to them with Christ on their own and uh, obviously Paul was prolific he was maybe one of the greatest writers ever. Of course, I don't think he would take credit for it. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know that God is the best writer ever. But Paul had a, an intelligent mind. Apollos was a great orator. He was just easy to listen to. And, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but there are people that I tend to listen to when I'm preparing to study. There's people that I tend to like to go to. If anyone's here at this church, it's not necessarily because God stamped it in your Bible and you went there and whether you want to be here or not, we chose to come here. Like we are like listening to Pastor Rob or Pastor Jeff. We, we get to pick, um, unlike our children. That's why I feel bad sometimes. They didn't get to pick their Sunday school teachers, but, <laughs> but they'll get older and they can move on. But um, they're here because they have to be. As Pastor Chuck used to say when he was younger, he had a drug problem. I got drugged to Sunday morning church. I got drugged to Sunday night church. <laughs> they didn't have a choice. They had to come. Um, but there are people that it doesn't make one pastor better than another necessarily. That just is somebody that resonates with me that I, I, get, I appreciate listening to. 
And uh, I still remember back in the day, there were three Calvaries that once a month during the summer, we would all get together and the three senior pastors would teach. And on more than one occasion, there was one guy specifically that he didn't say anything wrong. It just didn't resonate with me. And the other two, one specifically, I'm like, man, those guys were amazing. And I'd walk out with my brother-in-law, Jim, who would look at me and say, the one guy that I thought, eh, he was like, man, that guy was great. I'm like, praise the Lord, you know, because God has something for all of us. Um, so I understand that. Some say I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? And he's not asking them a question. This is rhetorical. Obviously, Christ is not divided. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And again, I mentioned this two books ago, I believe, when Paul walked up to somebody and he said, well, what were you baptized in then? When he was talking to the people that uh, Apollos was preaching to. And I just thought, again, what an odd question. That's the last thing I would ask. You come up to somebody, they seem to be lacking something. They had knowledge, they were saved, they understood the gospel, but they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he looks at them and he goes, you guys are lacking something. And without judging, he just says, what, what were you, have you guys, what were you baptized in? They said, we were baptized in John. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So he saw somebody lacking something in the first thing he asked them. And uh, he, again, what were you, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I would, I would have thought he would have said, were you taught under the teachings of Paul? But I don't know, there's something Paul understood about this baptism. And again, I don't believe it was the actual going in of the water, obviously, because you could have been baptized in anyone's name under the same water. The question now is, is what were you put into? What does that represent? And again, just thinking back in the vision that I think it was Ezekiel saw, that they walked in up to their ankles, up to their knees, up to their waist, and then finally the water took them. They were in control up until the point the water controlled them. And it's not necessarily that we need to have a physical experience. The physical experience that we're having is supposed to represent something that happens spiritually. And have you given yourself over to let the Holy Spirit control you? Just to let go. What does that mean? And what does it look like in my life? And when it doesn't happen, now I'm doing most of the thinking. And as I was getting to that point before and kind of got sidetracked, we can't figure any of this out. Sometimes I'm like, I want to do better, and I ask God for wisdom. And sometimes I think when I ask for wisdom, it means that all of a sudden I'll get smarter. I, I don't want to be wiser in that sense. I just want God to tell me. Just talk to me. Tell me. You're really wise. You know what's going on. You take care of it. You do it. I think wisdom is just right the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as opposed to just doing what God said. I can do it because I can make a decision, or I'll let God decide. Sometimes simple things are profound, right? Like I kept gaining weight. God's like, if, you don't, if you're not hungry, don't eat. Well, I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's lunchtime, so I ate. <laughs> I don't, because it's, right? God's really smart. 
God's really smart. Sometimes I got to remind myself of that. God is really smart. And it's not even about being smart. It's not like he knows how to accomplish the goal that I want better. He's the one that had the goal to begin with. How can I even know what he wants me to do? Finally, you'll get to a point where you're just like, okay, I don't know what to do. And he's like, yeah, that took a while. <laughs> Lord, help. That took a while. Yes, you need help. Yes, you don't even know where you're supposed to go, much less how you're going to get there. Jesus had no problem walking on the water, showing up, and then all of a sudden they were where they thought they needed to be instantly, like without even rowing anymore. It's like they were just there. God can get you there, and he can get you there quick. The question is, is will we let him have us? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Even that, this whole baptism thing. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Verse 17, again, this is a profound verse for me. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And again, I've shared this with, now it's my first place I go to when I come across Mormons or Latter-day Saints, because they believe that you need to be baptized in a Mormon Latter-day Saints temple by a Latter-day Saints priest, or else you can't be saved. And they also think that, well, you can be if you die, and then one of your relatives ends up getting baptized for you, which is how they take that out of context. So usually now when they show up, I'll, I'll get to there eventually in a conversation. So you need to be baptized in order to be saved. Yes, that's what we believe. Well, the gospel saves. Yes. Well, Paul says, I didn't, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism was not part of Paul's gospel. He didn't send him to baptize. He sent him to preach the gospel. So if, if the gospel is not part of Paul's gospel, then why, why is it part of yours? And I've asked them to come back, because if I'm wrong, I'm in trouble. And if you love me, find out and come back and tell me, and none of them have ever come back. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, rotting. But to us, and Paul doesn't say, but to me, he includes the Corinthians, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? God can ask that. <laughs> Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, so God being wise, the world through wisdom did not know God. That means you can't know God through figuring it out, which means I need to stop trying to sit there and just saying, well, I think. Let, through our wisdom of the world, did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God's wisdom decided our wisdom wasn't going to figure him out. 
It's not about being smart enough, being clever enough. I still remember as a kid, I've mentioned this multiple times too, laying underneath a tree in my front yard, looking up into the sky, seeing the sun, thinking I know there's stars up there. And as soon as the sun went away, I'd be able to see them. And if I was to travel, when would I end? There has to be an end. I don't understand eternity or forever. It doesn't make sense. But if there's an end, if there was a wall that everything ended, there had to be another side to it. So there can't be an end. But there has to be, but there can't be. And I'm like, we can't figure it out. We weren't designed to figure it out. Now I think I understand, because he tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing out there. You can't even understand nothing. What does nothing mean? And he made something out of nothing. He took nothing and made something out of it. We don't understand that either. You can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense. And I was so blessed because one of the kids in Sunday school, before they left, were sitting there saying the same thing. She goes, yeah, I was sitting there because she just came back from the Caribbean and she was looking up into the sky and she's like, where does it end? And I'm like, I wondered that when I was your age too. <laughs> and I don't know what to tell you because can't, you can't figure it out. There's nothing out there. and Don't ask me what nothing is. I don't know. Verse 21, for since the wisdom of, in the wisdom of God, so God's like, this is the smartest way of doing it, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He doesn't tell you that you need to be smart enough to figure it out. What do you mean God just forgave me? Well, if, he, if you sinned against him, he can forgive you. The whole thing is his story. He did the whole thing. What you need to do is believe. Just believe. Why is it we can believe that we're sinners, but that we can't be saved? Why is it that we can believe that we're good enough, but there is no definition of good? Any way you look at it, apart from the cross, it doesn't make sense. It's really the only thing that can make sense, if you believe. But what do we believe? Well, you need to believe him, because he knows everything. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but God's really smart. He knows everything. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And after you've known God for any length of time, you got to wonder, how could I ever have even thought that I might glory in his presence? When you don't know him, how many? Have you, I'm sure we've all heard that, right? When I see God, I'm going to tell him, no, you're not. <laughs> you're going to fall on your face because <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. 
that's going to be at the end times, right? Jesus himself tells us they're going to sit there, they're going to get together to go to war, they're all going to gather in one place, they're all going to get ready to fight, and then they're going to hide under the rocks. Oops. <laughs> not a, I mean, you can laugh at it, it's not funny. It's a bad day. No flesh, not only no flesh should glory in his presence, no, no flesh will glory in his presence. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 30, but of him... You, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Wow, a whole chapter. That's pretty good. Well, we have communion, so if you want to... Uh, come up and get the elements during the song and then take it back to your seats and we'll take it together. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. Just thinking of what he did and again, the Lord's been encouraging me and challenging me also um, about this. So we look at the elements and how oftentimes I see his death, see what they did to his body, saw the punishment that was poured out because of sin. And if I don't remember the whole story, condemnation comes in, guilt comes in, lies come in, and uh, just an odd portion for a communion, but the Lord, I believe, Colossians 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Since indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And I think one of the things that I could allow myself to happen, knowing me, again, the flesh is weak, 
is to remember only the death of Jesus on the cross. And I think the equal part of this is not just that his body's broken, but he says, take, eat. It's him in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And not only does his life want to come inside of you and fill you with peace, um, but it's the same thing that I'm taking that you're taking. It's the same Christ in all of us. That, that's the thing that unites us, is, is, is his body and what he did for us. So if you have something that you want to remember that he died for specifically, a sin issue, just come before him and thank him that he did it and confess it. Um, but then remember that you have been forgiven, uh, that he will prevent, uh, he will present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And that happens because Christ is in you. And as you take this, remember, he didn't just have to pay the penalty for our sin, but he gave you more than that. He gave you life. He is life. He is the resurrection. And as he challenged, do you believe this? Well, I believe you'll make me perfect in the resurrection. He goes, no, I am the resurrection. You can have life in me now. Baptism, him in you. It's not just death. It's death and resurrection. So just if you have something to go before him to confess, do it. But then take this in and just... Let it accomplish what I believe the Lord wanted to accomplish, that he's entering into you from the outside to give you something that you didn't have before, new life, sustenance. <clears throat> so take your time and then uh, partake of the body and the blood. And Father, we just thank you that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you guarantee our admission into heaven. Lord, the down payment. Thank you for not leaving us fatherless. <clears throat> but you are a good dad. You care for everything. We can't even know life much less have life without you. We were walking dead, Lord. You've made a new being out of nothing again. And uh, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And I uh, just pray that we'd remember that as we walk through this life, Lord, remembering who we are, but also not forgetting what you've done and who you are and what's available to us. And help us to walk in resurrection, a resurrected life, you living through us, what you paid for at the cross. Lord, help us to not just dwell at the death, but allow you to have free reign of our lives, that you would be glorified as you want to. Lord, thank you. We don't have to twist your arm. We just have to let you. It's something you want to do. Convince us. In Jesus' name, amen.